1 John 4, 7-8 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This verse describes God as love, but goes even further to say God is love. Then it even declares that those who do not love do not know God. For me, when I first realized how powerful this truth was and how I struggled to love others, it was revealing things about my spiritual condition I did not want to accept. I paused to take this meaning into my being. I thought, well, evaluating my love. You see, I didn't love, but I thought of myself as spiritual because I worked hard to obey God. I believed I was skilled at truth, justice, and forgiveness, but I was weak in love, mercy, and compassion. I was quick to forgive people, but slow to help. As I have shared in other podcasts, I was profoundly moved by the great commandment which prompted me into a decade of daily research and the implementation of new practices to test this idea. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I paid extra close attention to this description, nothing. You see, I know this sensation. I know what it is like to be nothing, to feel dead inside. I understand this consequence. The Bible is describing here. Yes, the Bible is full of information about consequences we will receive by our choices. My experience of nothing involved feelings of loneliness, emptiness, coldness, uncaring, anger, and being numb. Many people experience this state of being, but few of them find and follow the way out. In this series, I've been sharing how I got out of that terrible place. The first time another man said he loved me, I raise an eyebrow in both confusion and skepticism. Why would he say that? Does he even really know me? I did not say it back because I hardly knew the man. We were part of a spiritual program together, but I had a lot of baggage and trust issues. I wasn't ready to love him. A couple years later, another man said it to me, someone I was mentoring. This time I said it back to avoid awkwardness. It was Christmas time. But I saw his face and knew it was sincere. I just didn't expect it. And I did not know how to handle it. I never really thought that way. About two years after that, I was saying goodbye to another man I mentored. He was moving to another state. I saw tears. I don't recall the words, I love you, but I'll never forget the moment. And what was a little bit different this time is that I felt it. This happened again a couple more times since then. It's a profound and beautiful experience to witness such a connection. This kind of bonding comes through helping each other grow spiritually with care, concern, and affection. I also helped others without the use of care, concern, and affection. I helped them without heart. I uncaringly provided information for others to grow. I did not develop a connection with them, and they did not last long in the journey. I learned through trial and error that the application of love, concern, affection, care, and compassion makes a powerful difference in relationships 
and helping others. Inspiration comes from this. Hope comes from this. Risk is involved. Emotions get entangled. Confusion happens. But lives can be drastically changed and souls can be saved. God provides to us this gift of love which we can embrace with our thoughts, attitudes, goals, words, actions, or not. We can practice sincere love in God's truth and goodness or not. It's a choice. Everything with God is a choice. I also experienced another kind of I love you that is said as fleeting as hello and goodbye. It comes from the lips of acquaintances I hardly know. I do not respond back with the same words in these cases. I don't believe they mean it, and if they do mean it, if that's their way of loving, I feel sorry for them, because I believe they're missing out on a richer love experience. But that may be the only love they know. There are some people who use the word love maybe a hundred times a day, not really thinking about the meaning of love, God's love, and how deep and rich that really is. I mean, if we love so many things every single day, would we really love them? I mean, love to me on the scale of like from 1 to 10 is pretty high. It just occurred to me that some people may be thinking of the variations of love from the Greek language, but in all reality, um, these variations mean like respect and lust. And the truth of the matter, the English language has words for these things. Uh, I think in general sense, most of us, when we say love in the English language, we mean passionate, um, respect, connection, care, deep affection. But all that aside, the love that I'm referring to is the greatest love, agape love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's, that's a deep love right there. Much of the time when the Bible uses words of love implies an action. Do a concordance search using the words because and love, or those who and love, or if and love. Then read the verses, watching closely for information that ties love to some action, work, or diligence. See how it's connected. Look for the patterns. This can help us really take in the Bible's meaning of love. So when I say I love you, is going to be more like John 15, 13. I just see love as something so much more. When someone says, I love you to me... I question how great that love is. I try to practice discernment about what other people say. Do they mean what they say? Are their actions following their words? If the person never calls or tries to connect with me outside of groups or meetings, then I wonder how they can really love me and how deep is that love. I just can't see myself loving someone I don't reach out to. That kind of love doesn't agree with the biblical examples that I have read. I don't believe it is too much to ask to become more aligned with how the Bible describes Christian behavior. First, we need to clearly discuss it. 
then take action with it and then discuss it some more because most likely we will learn some things through that action. Sometimes people have jumped to conclusions about me that I'm cold. If I'm cold, how is it that I have such deep love experiences with other people? No, I'm not cold. I'm just not easy. I don't build relationships that are quick and easy. I prefer the kind of love that requires deeper conversation, persistence, and more transparency and personal investment. I am not quick to love others. I need to first get to know people. Because they see me hesitate, they often conclude I'm not interested. That is an error in judgment on their part. Sometimes I'll get invited to go somewhere and I'll pause. I'll think, hmm, what am I doing? Am I really, do I really want to do this? And because I pause, people, people will just get uncomfortable with that pause. But that's thinking. That's really taking in and considering. That's playing deeper investment. And then there are some other people that are just, yes. They say yes. They just quickly say yes all the time. And then later on, they cancel. And I'm just not that type of person. If I say yes, I'm going to do it. And I may have kind of a heavy expectation to think that other people ought to be like that. But that's how I understand God. When God says yes, that means yes. When Jesus says yes, that means yes. I mean, what am I following? What am I trying to be more like? I'm trying to be like God, Jesus, the disciples, and how they demonstrate and how they live. Because first, it's right. And second, it saves souls. It brings peace. It brings real love and connection. There's something deep and rich about that. And the only way for me to really see it is to do it. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I don't know about you, but I live in a world where there is corruption. It's everywhere. It's in the government, jobs, friends, 12-step meetings and churches. It's everywhere. To better understand this point, it will require some research and reading about cognitive bias, herd mentality, groupthink. You can also look at the Ash Conformity Experiment or the Milgram's Obedience Study. It's important to understand that all these things are working at one time within us to prompt us into certain choices and actions. When I commit myself to God, I am sorting out these pressures and removing those that are not following God. In my journey, the most important things that I see that I am progressing and I am improving with God, as long as I'm doing that, good things are happening in my life. And because I'm a heavily flawed individual, there are so many ways I can improve. All I need to do is just find a few and start improving on godly character. Luke 8:21. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. This is a story of where Jesus' mother and brothers were outside wanting to speak to him. This story is in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When things are repeated to me, that implies an emphasis of importance. Jesus is trying to make a point, and the same point has been made in other verses. Matthew 8, 
verses 21 and 22. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This story is also in Luke 9:60, And in verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The point that I get out of this is I need to keep my focus upon God. I need to retain God in my conscious thinking. As I have testified with my story, when I increase with God, my life improves. And when I seek to increase myself within the world more than with God, my life suffers. I learned through trial and error, I need to prioritize my attitude, my thoughts, and my interests to be towards God's interests. I need to put building with God more important than building with my family. I need to consciously stay with God, God and God's principles every day. When I am distracted, and I realize I'm distracted because sometimes I don't even realize it, then I can begin to start thinking about God. And sometimes I don't feel like thinking about God. I don't want to think about God because those times it goes against the flow of my thinking. I'm thinking about something else. I'm wanting something else. I need to correct it. If I'm going to stay with God and continue to get the good things of God, my soul and my spirit and my being is fed through participation and alignment with God. Just as my physical being is fed and nurtured through healthy eating and exercise and stretches, so is my spiritual being through God's good principles incorporated in my thinking and words and actions, and also a faith in the process that it is good, that it will bring good, that I believe that. I know what's going to happen. But in the beginning, I didn't have that faith. I needed to investigate and find it. I had to do what is called a third step. Step three. The description I read described how I was to rely upon God for direction in my life. It used the phrase completely abandoned. Seeking to do this correctly required me to carefully grow self-awareness. Ability to witness my governing thoughts as they are guiding me into choices. To better understand what guides my decision making. I don't always want to get up in the morning. Some days my thoughts would guide me to get up and get moving to get ready for work. Gotta pay the bills, right? Even though part of my thinking would guide me to hit the snooze button, I trained myself to get up and get going to get to work. I believed I needed the money. I trained myself not to give attention to the thought of sleeping more or skipping work. I had faith that earning money led to a better life and was worth the sacrifice. Days that I was off work, I would not go to my job and hang out. I would not volunteer extra time at my job. I went there primarily to get paid. Although I liked some of the people there and some things about the job, they weren't enough to get me to go there. But if they offered bonuses or something, I would probably show up. Many of us become accustomed to this kind of reward concept. We often understand money to be a major motivator to get people to do things. 
In the spiritual world, I had to commit to make God more of a motivator for action like money. Do I believe I need God to trust and rely upon God like I need money? I read that I had a new employer. I understood that to mean I was to tend to God's interests as I did my employer's interests with the same effort and the same reliance. When my boss provides me a list of duties, I do them so I can get paid and maybe get a promotion, increase the money. God provides a list of duties. Will I do them? Since I complete my employer's list of duties because I trust money and rely upon it and believe I need it, if God is my new employer, I will respond to God's list of duties in a similar way, with the same diligence and commitment. This is where results can help define my faith and love. You see, when I began working as a teenager, I had an idea of how I was to be rewarded. That perceived reward helped me choose to go into work. If I could not perceive a reward, I would not go to work. Similarly, with God, I perceived that taking action to grow with God could help remove the inward torment I was experiencing. Although the reward was a mystery, the results of continuing my way of life was a certainty. Continuing my way of life led to misery, so I chose the mystery over misery. It was because of the great pain that I dedicated myself to a new employer, and as a result of much work I experienced rewards. And like getting my first paycheck, these spiritual rewards were reinforcing my continuance in action. In the beginning, I had faith in the steps I took to grow with God, but not love. I did not know God nor the results of the steps. It actually wasn't until many years later that I could grow into loving God through getting to know God's righteousness, grace, and goodness. As I grew to understand it, the consequences of being in it and out of it, I began to love it but I had to experience results from the actions. The more I submit myself to do God's ways and carefully watch how the consequences unfold, seeing the reactions from my participation and sensing the feelings from them, the more I respect the methods and love them. God is about peace and patience. Being patient and guiding myself toward peaceful thinking is a skill that requires development. It needs self-discipline. The descriptions of love from 1 Corinthians 13, likewise, are skills that can be developed over time through practice. I'm actually hoping to someday be part of a church that is willing to develop a curriculum beginning with children to learn, discuss, and practice these things with the understanding that they are skills. The fruit of such practices are spiritual. But then there is the practice without love. There are unconscious participants. I have gone through years with my development where I am going through the motions, just getting things done, but not applying myself to consciously grow with God. I'm not consciously considering and thinking about God's character and goodness and ways and righteousness and truth. Instead, I'm just going on autopilot, going through what I know, and just not really applying some kind of a strenuous thought. 
This was the time when I was going to groups, reading about God, even praying, and doing so without the goal of being changed inwardly into God's goodness. These actions, without building affection, compassion, and love for others, seem to block the feeding of my soul. In order to love others, I need to be giving myself to others, my inward experiences while identifying with their inward experiences. I need to present myself with kindness and gentleness. I need to be present, caring for others with empathy, and encouraging them to do the same. I need to invest myself in someone and persevere with them to know them deeper. As I get to know them more, and they get to know me more, a spiritual bond can be created. This involves conscious participation in each other to understand each other deeper. It's about increased self-awareness and increased other awareness, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. We can encourage each other around God's principles to grow in them and talk about the process. Understanding about this process can develop over time through perseverance, humility, and much corrective God-reliance. There are learnings about God and love that are inaccurate. Years ago, my wife and I were in a book study that was learning about love. We used a book that seemed to say we each understood love differently, and we were to do things in ways the other person wanted so they could experience love. This is not biblical. When I was a teenager, my language of love was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't think that's what God wants. I have learned over time that my personality and my interest where I believe will make me feel love can be very different from God's ways. I believe there are two ways we can love. We can love with God's righteousness or not. This is never very clear to define at first glance. That's why discernment, testing, and communication needs to happen. Although this sounds black and white, it isn't. I believe this is where the heart comes in, that involves attitude and effort and sincerity. I believe it involves how much I'm giving of myself to see that I'm loving the way God wants me to love. It has to do with how much of my inward being I'm really trying to be more in line with God's love. I think asking the question, is this the best I can do? And how much towards the best I can do, I'm actually doing. Because that's really what God wants. The command is that I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. It's my whole being and doing my best. That's what God wants. And some days that best can change from day to day. It can vary. Depends on what's going on in my life. And that's what makes it so hard to discern when other people are given their best. We can't really see what's going on within the person. But if I'm really carefully being honest with myself, about myself, thinking and discerning, then I can kind of know whether I'm giving my best or not. So this is a journey we each individually need to examine ourselves with patience and endurance and perseverance to know, are we applying ourselves to God? Are we seeking to love God with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, our attitude, 
our effort, our perseverance? Is it there? Is this the best I can do today? Can I do a little bit better? I have found that doing this helps me to see how I can improve so that I can improve. And as I do improve, good consequences happen. So the motivation then becomes getting more of those good consequences, experiencing that love and peace and compassion and mercy, seeing the beauty in God's goodness, righteousness, and grace. It does not have to do with avoiding mistakes or fear of being imperfect. It does not have to do with uh, avoiding shame. It's all about growing in that love and seeing the good. Learning how to discern love has been a lifelong lesson for me. It has developed through experience, reflection, biblical study, correction, and much discussion with others doing the same. We have differences and sometimes vast differences. A man paroled from a 20-year prison sentence may not see love the same way as a young female youth pastor. Words alone cannot explain love. We need experience to grow and understand. And we need to grow these experiences toward the examples and instructions used in the Bible. If you haven't ever put together a jigsaw puzzle, you might not relate to this next metaphor. As I evaluate myself for mistakes in my thinking, words and actions for correction, I need to go to the example solution to see how to make corrections. When putting together a jigsaw puzzle, I need to look at the solution, which is usually the picture on the box the puzzle came in. The picture helps me see what the puzzle is supposed to look like. The descriptions of love in the Bible help to reveal the solution my love is supposed to look like, but I need to grow my awareness and understanding of that description or I might incorrectly create my own misinterpretation of love. A misinterpretation of love could guide me into spiritual destruction. This can hurt not only myself, but others I am close to. In order to improve in love, I need to evaluate my belief about love, and then see how it fits and agrees with the Bible's descriptions of love. Then I can see how I can improve it, more with the instructions in the Bible. Where it disagrees with God's ways, it tends not to be good. I believe each of us can benefit the most by studying the Bible and listening to the Spirit for guidance and correction. In Luke 1.77 and 79, the prophecy of Zechariah is shared, which describes how we are to obtain the knowledge of salvation and that our feet are to be guided into the way of peace. Here are the verses. 177. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. And here's 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, informs us through others precisely how to love. I have found this not to be complicated to understand, but awkward and out of place to put into practice. The world is not agreeable to God's ways. Lies and selfish ambition is everywhere. 
I need to choose each day whether I am seeking to fit in with people or fit in with God. What am I going to love more? If I am going to love God the most, then I will apply my thoughts, interests, choices, and actions to be more in line with God. To love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength means I will wake up thinking how to serve and be with God and continue that behavior throughout the day. I will chase after growing the way God wants for me. I will do it imperfectly, but still, I will do it. Since God is love, then I am to persevere in how the Bible describes God. Such descriptions I have found are truth, justice, which is being fair and impartial, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, peace, generosity, kindness, and gentleness. Not forgetting the needed attitude of humility with perseverance and endurance, self-discipline, and remission of sinful behavior and thinking. So to grow in this love is a gradual process that involves tiny little steps improving in this character. And this improvement is gradual and subtle. But over time, if I do it, it pays dividends, spiritual dividends. I get to experience more joy and more love in my life. Thank you for listening to an Inward Authority podcast. And may you go with God and grow in God's ways and goodness. Mm-hmm.